crowd of the news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. During the pandemic, uh, the QAnon movement has been, appears to be gaining a lot of followers. Can you talk about what you think about that and what you have to say to people who are following this movement right now? Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much. Uh, I have heard that it is gaining in popularity. As you no doubt know by now, the 2020 election didn't turn out the way Donald Trump or QAnon had hoped. Almost nothing the conspiracy theory has predicted over the past four years has actually happened. But even so, in the lead up to the vote, they were sure that Trump would win the election. It had been promised by Q himself. And so naturally, now that the last biggest QAnon prediction has utterly failed to materialize, surely this conspiracy is starting to fizzle, right? Well, if you believe that, then I have a deep state cabal that feasts on the adrenochrome of children to sell you. Conspiracy theories as deep and all-consuming as QAnon don't just vanish in a puff of smoke when the reality they predict doesn't appear. They twist and contort. They re-examine everything and they, to use their term, bake new loaves of bread. QAnon isn't going anywhere, no matter who wins which election. And so today we're going to take a look deep inside what's happened to the phenomenon in the wake of Trump's loss and try to figure out what's next. And critically, just how dangerous is what's happening deep inside these forums going to turn out to be? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Justin Ling is a Montreal-based reporter who covers, among many other things, how QAnon is taking uh, the results of the U.S. election. Hello, Justin. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Can you just start by uh, telling us at this moment, um, a couple of weeks after the U.S. election, what is the current uh, prevailing QAnon theory? It's hard to even say there's a prevailing theory. If you can dream up a totally meritless, made-up, invented conspiracy, chances are they've at some point tried to make it mainstream. QAnon believes, you know, different elements within QAnon believe everything from the idea that Donald Trump himself has orchestrated this uncertainty as a way to draw out the deep state so that he can round them up and put them on trial in military tribunals for treason. That's you know, one end of the spectrum. The other end is that this is the deep state's last stand and that the international child trafficking cabal, probably led by Hillary Clinton and maybe the UK royal family, have managed to buy off all of the media and all of the establishment and all of the states and all of the vote counters and all the, you know, the vote counting machine companies to orchestrate 
you know, this plot to steal the election from Donald Trump and have only narrowly gotten away with it. But, you know, by God, they're going to turn the tide yet. I mean, that's that's basically where we're at. And it sounds, you know, fantastical because it is. But also what's terrifying is that elements of these conspiracy theories have become orthodoxy or, you know, on Trump's Twitter feed on the news outlets that he keeps promoting recently, um, whether that's Fox News, One American News, uh, or Newsmax, um, as well as a bunch of other right-wing websites. And it has even filtered its way into court filings that the Trump campaign has filed you know, in swing states in an effort to overturn the results of the election. It is bewildering and absolutely out to lunch, but it is having a real impact on the current conversation about this supposed fraud. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you what that means for democracy in the bigger picture. But of all those theories you just mentioned, um, none of them seem to be, well, uh, Trump lost, so maybe Q was wrong and maybe we should look at this more critically. Is that happening anywhere? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to say, right? So there are definitely posts in the Q world uh, from followers who are saying, we've been let down one too many times. This is not the first QAnon prediction to not come true. I mean, you know, for those who are still kind of behind the curve on this, and I envy you, um, you know, Q, <laughs> QAnon roughly believes that there is a high-ranking intelligence official who has been posting information to message board 8chan under the pseudonym Q and has been revealing elements of a deep state plot you know, against the president and the president's own crusade to, to beat that deep state back. Now, a lot of those posts are incredibly cryptic, but in, in the few circumstances where Q has made very direct and obvious predictions, they've not come true. There has had to be some incredible mental gymnastics in order for QAnon followers to conclude that, in fact, Q was right all along. There's all sorts of sort of numerology that goes into saying, oh, well, in fact, you know, it didn't happen on this day. But later on, you know, at one point, Q predicted that the National Guard had been dispatched to cities across America um, as part of, uh, you know, the mass arrest of Democratic officials, including Hillary Clinton. Well, Obviously, that didn't happen. But when years later, the National Guard was sent out uh, by the president to clamp down on uh, you know, demonstrations across the country, well, QAnon sure found a way to reconcile you know, that prediction with the, the eventual use of the National Guard. So it is really hard to convince these people they've been led astray. The isolated cases of followers saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I just can't believe it anymore. We've been lied to too many times. They are very few and far in between. And it's really hard to even say if those are legit QAnon followers or whether it's other folks from the internet, you know, jumping in, pretending to be that to sort of mess, to do basically mess with their minds and, and kind of justifiably so, because all of these boards are anonymous. You don't know who anyone is. It's hard to say if someone's a real Q follower or a fake. So by and large, no. You, you know, you have not seen a widespread disillusionment with the conspiracy um, because the conspiracy itself tells its followers you always have to go back and, and basically reestablish your trust in the plan. They always say, trust the plan. And no matter what evidence is ahead of them, suggesting that this whole thing has been a lie and a ruse and a, and, you know, and a lark, 
they will always find a way to justify their own investment of time and energy and sweat into the conspiracy. You mentioned for those of us uh, who are behind the curve and how lucky they are. And and that's true. We've kind of done a few episodes on Cuba. Do you remember maybe when you first started to really dig into this stuff? Because if, if you were talking to that person now, uh, it must seem like you're speaking a second language. What was it like trying to get deep on this and figure out what actually is happening on these message boards? Yeah, I mean, it's like learning a new language, right? I mean, in many in many ways, you are. I mean, there there are words and um, you know euphemisms and terminology and acronyms and so on that are just incoherent to the average person. So I'll give you an example. You know, every day, multiple times a day, on these QAnon message boards, loyal Q followers will, in their words, assemble the crumbs of evidence into you know these big long posts that assemble all sorts of conspiracies and and news stories and tweets and messages that they say reinforces um, you know what Q is saying and they put them out onto the board and, and call them loaves and they are the bakers so the, the this this is the, the huh. weird yeah, this is obviously not how you bake a loaf of bread you don't assemble crumbs into the oven and but it doesn't matter they they call each other bakers so you'll 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 log on. And you'll see things like, oh, thank you, Baker. Oh, the you know new loaf's coming up. For the average person to log on to there, you have no idea what they're talking about. Right. It is so hard to even parse out basic things like that. But but actually, if you go on now, those supposed loafs are full of nothing but every single you know allegation, real or not, credible or not, you know, with evidence or not, about electoral fraud. There's this, just a list of dozens and dozens of tweets and stories and messages and so on. And if you are a user on these boards, you come away with the belief that there is an overwhelming body of evidence to suggest that fraud is not just happening, but it is pervasive and systematic. And I think if you spend enough time in these boards, if you're just even curious, you will be brought in really quickly. If you're only sort of half following the election and you wind up on one of these boards or on one of the many more consumer-friendly websites that exist in the Q universe, it's really hard not to get taken in because it is this mountain of supposed evidence put together, you know, apparently by dogged researchers who, you know, have, have worked tirelessly to build this case. And I think for me, logging onto these forums, knowing that this whole thing originated with the conspiracy that um, Hillary Clinton was trafficking children in the basement of a Washington, D.C. pizza parlor. I know that what I'm logging on for is nonsense. But if you were just, let's say, hypothetically, you woke up from a coma after 10 years and logged onto this web page, well, it's actually quite compelling. For an average passerby, this ecosystem can be pretty convincing, to say the least. So tell me about um, election day and election night, because you were um, experiencing it in these forums. At least that's what I got from your Twitter feed and from uh, your pieces at Foreign Policy. What was it like leading up to the polls closing? What was Q expecting to happen that night? And and how did they react to you know the ongoing narrative, I guess, that, that stretched the next few days? So it was really curious. A, a lot of the QAnon movement takes its cues, sorry for that pun, but takes its, <laughs> takes its cues from, from Q, Q themselves. Q puts out these 
they call them drops. They are these posts on 8chan on their message board with all of these cryptic clues and, and calls to action and so on and so forth. Well, on election day at about two in the morning, I think, Q posted a, a picture of a giant American American flag and said, you know, we can win together and then went silent. So there was nothing really coming from Q on election day apart from that and then the days after. And a lot of QAnon followers went into November 3rd with a pretty deeply held belief that Donald Trump would take it in a walk, that it, that he would come away. I, I mean, there were really confident predictions that Donald Trump was not going to just win Florida and Georgia and Pennsylvania, but also California and New York. I mean, there were some pretty outlandish predictions from folks who had been too steeped in this movement, who were so convinced that the people were waking up against this deep state and that Donald Trump was going to romp to a huge victory. And when that became pretty obvious that that wasn't happening, I think a lot of confidence was shaken, right? I think when you saw, you know, New York, New York state staying really blue and, um, you know, Georgia staying competitive and Michigan and Wisconsin and so on flipping to Biden. And then of course, California going even bluer than it ever has ever gone before. Um, I think a lot of them were a bit despondent, to be honest. There was actually a huge drop off in the number of posts on a lot of these forms in the, the day, the days after the election. And I saw it in real time, you know, there just was not the sort of, you know, joyous, celebratory or even you know camaraderie that you'd seen in the days before um the optimism just left the room and in some of the chat rooms and other uh you know uh, telegram channels that i've been following a lot of them went really quiet but then what you saw was these allegations of fraud pouring in and these conspiracies starting to get woven about there being vote switching and you know folk and mail and ballot harvesting and um, you know postal fraud and so on and so forth and dead people voting and things like that. Suddenly, these forms became energized all over again, and that tempo picked right back up. And you saw this you know, groundswell of investment in the movement once again. And I think that's still what you're seeing. Uh, you know, that crest has been rising steadily in recent weeks. Now, I don't know where that goes, because I, I think as it's becoming clear, those allegations of, of fraud are so flimsy, are, are so baseless that they're just, you know, absolutely collapsing and disintegrating, you know, when faced with the, the slightest amount of scrutiny. But uh, it's really hard to say where it goes from here. Do they talk about um, kind of the distant future at all? Like what will happen if, uh, you know, these fraud claims are found baseless and Biden wins? Because um, I think what we've been hearing a lot about is that it's going to do some really terrible things to American politics for sure, but also just politics around the world to have 20% or however many percent of people living in a completely alternative reality where the election is not valid. So... I think there's a lot of parts to that, right? So I think you go to the really, really micro level. You know, families have been destroyed by this movement. There is a subreddit um, that looks ex pretty exclusively at the lives impacted by QAnon. You know, people's parents or sisters or children or friends or whoever who have fallen into the QAnon conspiracy and who have become literally just detached from their old lives. You know, these folks on Twitter, or sorry, on Reddit, describe how difficult it is 
to have a relationship with somebody who believes that there is an international child trafficking Satanist cabal that really runs the world? How do you talk to them when their entire day is spent researching these supposed claims and looking for satanic uh, you know, imagery in you know, government logos and so on and so forth? You know, that's really hard to do. And you know, marriages have been ended. Families have been torn apart by this. And this is what you see in the in in the fallout of a cult and 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 you know I've done a fair bit of research looking back at cult movements for the for the from the past century or so where you've seen exactly this happen when somebody believes in a world that doesn't exist it's very hard to live with them in the one that actually does so you know that's part one and I don't know what happens to those people I mean in in the past we used to talk about Deprogramming um, and 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 I, we talk kind of more today about deradicalization, but that is, that is a really a hard thing to do and to do properly and to do well, especially when the person is not really radicalized into a far off religion or anything like that, but is instead following the ideology of the president of the United States. That's a really tough knot to untangle. So you know the next part of that is like, what do we do for the political system when you have a huge chunk of the population who just don't who does, does not believe in the results of the election. You, you have to start talking about the possibility of homegrown terror attacks around that, you know, that worldview. We have seen already individuals inspired by QAnon be arrested for you know, terror attacks or for um, potentially acts of violence, um, whether that be in the name of Q or kind of inspired by it or what have you. You know, think to uh, Corey Hearn, who is accused of um, you know, wanting to harm the prime minister uh, out of a, a belief that uh, right. he was going to install some sort of communist dictatorship. We know that Hearn was following QAnon pages and was professing support for QAnon online. Um, you, you can think to the two men who were arrested outside of a, uh, a voted counting location in, in Pittsburgh um, you know, with weapons who were avowed QAnon followers. Um, you know, there was a man who tried to derail a train to hit a Navy ship, which he believed was part of the conspiracy. You know, there's all of these instances of individuals taking really extreme action in the name of either QAnon itself or related conspiracy theory. And admittedly, if you do believe a coup just happened by a deep state cabal, it kind of does behoove you to do something about it. I mean, you know, if this were real and a, you know, a communist you know, conspiracy actually had taken over your government, you would feel really compelled to do something about it. And unfortunately, that's what I think we're going to see happen. Hopefully, we can head that off at the pass, but especially with the president egging them on, it's hard to imagine that at least something, you know, some folks don't get inspired by that. Now, you know, even beyond that level, you know, what does it do to the political system writ large? I mean, you've seen the Republican Party tolerate a high level of this. There are now two elected representatives in Congress who have previously expressed either tacit or explicit support for QAnon. That is terrifying. That is a really scary prospect. But more worrying than that, you've seen a Republican Party that has been willing to entertain the conspiracies and the fantasies of QAnon because they've been laundered through the media or through Trump himself. Um, You've seen repeatedly in the past weeks 
instances where QAnon theories have filtered right to the president's Twitter feed, and they've been encouraged and tolerated by the Republican leadership. You know, the entire idea that a company called Dominion Voting Systems was the one to flip votes from Trump to Biden in order to just to flip the outcome of the election is a conspiracy theory that started on 8chan, on the QAnon boards, on November 2nd. You, I can show you the message that started you know, that started this whole um, you know, lunacy, this whole accusation that the Democratic Party controlled Dominion and that they were going to use it to flip the votes. Well, there's all sorts of really quack coding and, and and statistical analysis that claims to that claims that Dominion did in fact do that. And and Donald Trump has repeatedly touted those claims on Twitter. Those claims have been aired extensively on right-wing websites as well as One American News and Newsmax, and is seemingly the basis for some of the legal arguments the Trump campaign is making in court. There is no proof to these allegations whatsoever. There's actually proof to the opposite to prove that in fact there is no evidence of of that being done, considering the fact that a lot of those uh, electronic counting or voting systems are audited by paper and there's been no evidence of, of fraud whatsoever. It doesn't matter. What really matters is that the preponderance of these theories and and the frequency with which they're being touted and the levels at which they're being shouted from is creating the perception that there's something to them. And in that regard, QAnon has won. It has managed to use a loyal network of you know online users and influencers and so on and so forth to push up baseless conspiracy theories to the highest levels of the American government and once you've started that path once you've you know cleared those roads it's going to be really hard to stop it from happening again and again and again especially if Donald Trump continues promoting these baseless allegations once he leaves office, if he leaves office. I'm glad you mentioned that because that brings me to kind of my big picture question, which is, is there a danger here of this becoming mainstream uh, Republican, not policy, but at least mainstream Republican rhetoric? Because we all know how how tightly Donald Trump controls the Republican base right now. And if he's able to muster support for primary challengers, for, say, Republicans who publicly denounce QAnon, like— that seems to me a dangerous thing. Yeah, I, I think there's a limitation to how big QAnon can get. I think we have seen from polling and from some social media data that there are definitely millions of followers. It could be high, as high as tens of millions of folks who, if not are outright followers of QAnon, at least are familiar with it and, and are sympathetic to it. But I think there's a cap on how big they can get. And that's because we, generally speaking, the, the public who follows the news, know what they believe, right? The average person is not going to ascribe to a conspiracy theory that alleges that uh, there's a deep state cabal that is harvesting something called adrenochrome from children as part of a satanic ritual. That is, for the average person, just absolute hogwash. And I think that's going to limit the expansiveness of how big this can get. I think the danger is in politicians recognizing how influential and powerful QAnon can be for that millions or tens of millions of followers. And I think if politicians start playing that wink and a nod game with QAnon, you're going to get into a really dangerous territory. Many politicians, including many leading Republicans, have denounced QAnon. But I think you've also seen high-level high level Republicans, including Trump, including his family, including many in the party, do that wink and a nod. 
say, oh yeah, we know we know human trafficking is 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 you know it's pretty pervasive because you know that is a big part of what QAnon is trying to do now is break into the mainstream by latching right. on to some more mainstream issues like um, human trafficking, um, like saying this is all about just fighting pedophiles. But of course, we know that's not the case. But I think politicians will find avenues of common interest um, if QAnon can kind of maintain its momentum that will let them use the movement to their own ends. My last question then, I guess, um, is just if this election and these results in direct contrast to what was predicted didn't uh, herald the end of this movement, it's here to stay at whatever level probably, right? Maybe. So here's the thing. There is someone behind QAnon. You know, there is there is a Q. We believe, thanks to some good detective work and some you know, folks who used to work for HN, we believe that Q is a guy named Jim Watkins who runs HN, who runs the message board on which Q posts. If that's the case, he's using this for his own political ends. And if that's his goal, then what does he do when you know, things don't pan out when, let's say, Biden takes the White House. Does he give up? Does he encourage Donald Trump to run again? Does he, you know, launch his own political project? Does he pick someone else to get behind? Does he point Q in a different direction? You know, I think these are the real questions. I mean, is it possible that many of the QAnon followers sort of just fade away and peel off and go start other projects? Yes, possibly. It's possible that Q will just lose purchase once people realize this was all a hoax. But it's also intensely possible that Jim Watkins, if he is in fact Q, is going to use his platform to point his followers in a new direction. We'll see what that new direction is. Thanks so much for joining us today, Justin. Thanks, Jordan. Justin Ling is a Montreal-based journalist. He sometimes covers QAnon. He is also the author of a new book called Missing in the Village that chronicles the victims of Toronto serial killer Bruce MacArthur. It's available right now wherever you purchase books. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find lots of other episodes featuring Justin there. You can also find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. And you can, of course, email us, TheBigStoryPodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, you will find this one. And when you do... Tell a friend, leave a rating, leave a review, five stars only. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency.